All right. Well, praise God and good morning. And uh, it is very weird to think of it as being the last week of January coming up here. Um, seems like 2019 just started and here we are already at the end of the at the end of the first month. So I got some really good stuff to talk about today. Um, so let's start by just jumping right in. Just turning your Bibles to Mark chapter eight. I'm just going to jump right in, Mark chapter 8. There's not a lot of scripture to cover today, but there's a lot to, to unpack in the scriptures that we're going to be going over uh, this morning. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 31. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. All right. And he began to teach them... That the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples, he said to them, Whoever desires to come to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Underline deny himself. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man will also be ashamed. And when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Okay, so I want to pause there and I want to unpack a couple of things and and get into what we're what we'll be talking about today um, in this message. The first thing is verses 31 to 33, the interaction between Peter and Jesus. As you know, there wasn't it's not like Peter was following Jesus because there was some something he was he wasn't forced into following Jesus. This was something that he wanted to do. He wanted to listen to what Jesus said. He loved Jesus. So through this, they had a, a nice relationship that was developed where he can learn from him, where he can have a deep, deep understanding of him. And so when he's listening to Jesus saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to be killed by the by by folks. And I'm going to be persecuted, but I'll rise again in three days. Peter gets upset, obviously, because it's like, well, what, what do you mean? You know, so he pulls him aside um, and he and he disagrees with him. So rebuking is just another form of, of a sharp disagreement with an individual. So he pulled Jesus aside and, you know, like, what, what are you talking about? They can't kill you. Well, you know, we'll defend you, et cetera, et cetera, like that. And Jesus turns around to the whole crowd and says to them, Satan, get behind me because you don't know the things of God. You only know the things of man. So the reason why that's important to understand is because as Jesus, as Peter was walking with Jesus and as Peter was learning from Jesus and building this relationship, he hung on to all the words that he was saying. But there was something pretty key that he missed out on this. He was upset because Jesus was talking about how he was going to be killed, but he didn't listen to the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to rise again in three days. Okay, he was focusing on so much on the negative part of what Jesus was saying in terms of losing his life that he didn't even listen to the fact that, no, I'm not losing my life. I'm laying it down for a few days and then I'm coming back. So when we're talking today, there's a couple of questions that I want you to keep in your mind as we're as we're going through our scriptures today. And that's what part of the report do you listen to? Do you focus on or do you listen to the negative circumstance or do you focus on the positive outcome? 
What you see here is Peter is talking about how, 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 or what Jesus is talking about how is I'm going to be rejected by everyone. Peter's upset about that, but Jesus is saying, I'm going to rise again in three days. And then later on, what Jesus starts talking about is denying, is, is us as followers of Christ, making sure that we're denying ourselves to be able to succumb to the will of God. All right. So we're going to talk about today. How is it that we learn how to lose in order to gain? Okay, so losing to gain in this situation here in these first few scriptures, Jesus is talking about losing his his life. But what he's going to gain from that is he's going to gain the keys to the kingdom. He's going to gain the 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 the, the crown that allows him to sit on the right hand of the father to make intercession with us as the devil tries to accuse us of all the wrongdoing that we have. That's the positive outcome out of the negative circumstance. Now, we know what happens with Jesus later on, and we know that he gets persecuted and he gets beaten and captured and all those things. And ultimately, he ends up on the cross and lays down his life. But what he tells everybody through that process is, you know what? I'm coming back. I'm going to be coming back again. And the reason why Jesus was able to continue on going through that journey, one, it was because it was God's will. But two, he knew what the overall outcome was going to be. So he was willing to lose in terms of being beaten and being persecuted and being and talked about in order to be able to gain to be able to gain uh, sitting at the right hand of the father. Verses uh, verse thirty five. I want to read that one again. Um, and I want you to underline verse 30, actually underline verse thirty five through thirty eight or put a bracket around it. We're going to go over those one more time here for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? For what or, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and, gen and sinful generation of him, the son of man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father uh, and, and the holy angels. OK, so what we have to do in this in this life while we're here on earth is we have to learn how to get rid of all of those things that are going to keep us away from following God. Get rid of all of those those negative thoughts, all those negative feelings, all of those um, in, in cases, negative people that are just going to be around you telling you that you can't succeed and that you won't have this and you're going to struggle with this and all of these things and be able to say, you know what? No, I'm not, because the positive outcome is, in, in all of this is that I'm doing God's will. And if I'm doing God's will, then I'm going to be just then I'm going to be just fine, no matter what struggles I might have. There's going to be three areas of, of focus that I'm going to talk about today that we need to figure out and learn how to lose in order to gain. And then I'm going to also give you a few things that you can do so you can learn how to be OK with, quote unquote, losing in order to gain. The first area that we're going to talk about is is picking up right here where uh, verses 35 and 38 through 38 talked about. And that's losing to our own will, losing to our own will. That's the first area that we're going to talk about. So let's turn in our Bibles now to Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine. So we just saw how Jesus was saying whoever is going to lose his life, who lose their life for the for the sake of the gospel and follow me is going to be OK. And I'm obviously I'm paraphrasing those scriptures there. But so we just saw that. So there's something about us needing to lose our own will to be able to follow the will of God. So what we're going to look at now is how do we lose our own will to, to gain God's will? And we're familiar with these uh, with these scriptures here. But Acts chapter nine, verse 10. I, said, I don't know if I said verse 10 or not, but Acts nine, verse 10. 
Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Underline that. Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias said, Lord, I have heard of I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So just for a little background and you can read the preceding verses there. Um, but Saul was out to persecute all Christians. He was capturing them. He was killing them. And in this situation here before that, in the, in, in the scriptures before that, he actually sent a letter out to the high priest in Damascus saying, hey, if you know of any Christians, bind them up and send them my way. So what Ananias is going here now, he's saying, hold on a second, Lord. All right. This guy Saul you're talking about. I know exactly who he is and I know what he's done to your people. I'm one of your people and you want me to go see him. Why would you why would you do that? OK, so he's starting to, to to doubt just a little bit. He's starting to ask some questions. He's focusing a little bit on the negative circumstance here because it is something that's very, very, very serious. Because what Jesus is asking him to do um, and the, and if you have a red letter Bible, you see these letters are in red, meaning that this is Jesus talking. What Jesus is asking him to do is to go see somebody that would kill you under other normal circumstances. But I want you to talk to him because he's because I told because he's looking for you and he's reading and he knows that you are going to go see him. OK, so let's go and read uh, verse 14 again. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So what that means is that this is not something that Saul was doing in secret. OK, this wasn't like he was getting together with. You know, two or three people that are like, yeah, yeah, let's go out. I know there's some Christians over there. Let's go quietly get them. Let's go quietly get them. No, he actually has authority to go out and do that. So the chief priests are saying, yeah, we'll go ahead and, and, and anyone that calls on the name of Jesus, we'll send them your way because you asked about. It. So this is a pretty, pretty serious situation that Jesus is asking Ananias to step into. But the Lord said to him in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go underline, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, Gentiles, kings and the, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul, Saul spent some days with the disciples at, uh, at Damascus. Verse 20 uh, here. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he was the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name of uh, on, the, on this name in Jerusalem? It has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that that this Jesus is the Christ. Uh, later on, Saul ends up escaping out of Damascus because the Jews got together and they plotted to kill him. The disciples let him down and he was actually able to, to, to escape, even though he was there, uh, even though he was there and preaching about Jesus. OK, so what I want to focus on, though, is. The fact that 
if you look at what Jesus was telling Ananias, okay, he said, go find this man, Saul. Ananias knew Saul's background. But if you notice something, Jesus never told Ananias that, don't worry, I'm going to protect you and everything's going to be right and you're, and you're going to live. He never said that to him. So Ananias, you have to imagine now, is sitting back and having this conversation and thinking like, oh, boy, I got to go out to go meet this man that's going to potentially take my life and that would normally take my life. Eh, I don't know. He had to step out in uncertainty because the positive outcome of him following God's God's command was that Saul was going is a chosen vessel for Jesus. He had a plan for, for Saul's life. And part of that plan was for Saul to connect with Ananias. So Jesus said, you need to go because he is a chosen vessel of mine. So if Ananias just stayed focused on the negative fact that he could end up being killed by Saul, who knows what could have happened? Okay, who knows what could have happened to Ananias? Who knows what could have happened with Saul? But Ananias decided that, you know what? God called me. And it actually started all the way back in verse 10 when 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 the Lord said to him in a vision and he said, here I am, Lord. So when God calls you, are you willing to say, yes, Lord, here I am? Or do you just act like you don't hear him? Or do you just ignore him? When God calls you to do something, you have to be quick to be able to say, all right, Lord, here I am. Okay. I remember in school um, and teachers are pretty funny. They were, they were pretty funny with this, at least when I was in school. If the teachers asked a question of the class and no one raised their hand, they would say, all right, I'm going to start calling on people. Then they walk over to their attendance look and then they start calling on names. So the next time they ask a question, what do you think happens? Everybody raises their hand because they think, oh, I'm not going to be called on. And then they still end up calling on somebody. So which one of those are you? Are you one that will be quickly to raise your hand and say, hey, I'm here. Or are you going to sit back and wait for God to call you when the bottom starts to fall out from under you? Okay. You don't want to wait that long because you never know what kind of um, issues you might face in the future if you decide to continue to ignore God and continue to ignore his calling. The other thing that's interesting here that you see in verse 16 is that Jesus said, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. So if you continue to ignore God's calling for your life, if you continue to focus on negative circumstances, there could be some things that you're going to, quote unquote, have to suffer because of that. If you ever look back on any trials and tribulations that you've had, you can probably see that, you know what, if I would have just done this sooner. I wouldn't have been in the situation that I was in. It wouldn't have taken me 10 months to get through this. It wouldn't have taken me 12 years to get through this. Okay, I would have gotten through it a lot sooner if I would have just jumped when God called me. Okay, how what is that saying? How does that saying go? If I if I say jump, you're supposed to say how high. You know, how many of us are willing to do that with God? If God says jump, you say okay, Lord, how high? Are you going to say, well, see, Lord, here's the thing. I got this little pain in my foot from when I went out and I was exercising the other day, and I don't think that I can actually jump. So can you ask me to jump maybe when this thing is healed in six to eight weeks? No, we got to be willing to say, all right, Lord, how high do you want me to jump and actually go and do it? The other reason why this is critical to make sure that we're not just um, that we're we're not just focusing on uh, the negative situation and the positive and not the positive outcome is because you never know whose blessing you could be blocking by dragging your feet. Okay, you never know whose blessing you could be blocking by dragging your feet. God might be calling you to do something. And yes, it's going to benefit you. But what about how is it going to benefit others? Okay, so think about that. 
because God uses people in all sorts of ways. And you might be sitting back and thinking, like, Lord, I really, really, really don't want to do this. That's not my five year plan. That's not what my husband and wife talked about. I really, 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 really don't want to do that. But you have no idea who could be blessed by you just listening to God, not to mention that you will end up being blessed as well. And of course, God also gets the glory. So how can we learn to lose in our will in order to gain? One thing you can do is to sit down and ask and ask yourself, what is it? What is that thing that has me so terrified that I'm not willing to follow God's calling? Okay. Ananias was sitting there. I mean, really, 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 really. And and I'm kind of stuck on that um, that situation with Ananias and what Saul's background is, because I really, really, really want you to understand what God was asking Ananias to do. Okay, and what Saul has has built a reputation on. Everybody knew who Saul was, and Ananias is like, "Are you really? Are you are you really? Are you sure you want me to do this?" Okay, that's a really really big deal for somebody to go. So if I went to go talk to talk to Britty over here, and I knew Britty was going to would normally kill me, what what's to say what's to say that she wouldn't do it now after I after I talk to her? Because many times as Christians, what do we end up doing? God blesses us out of a circumstance, gets us out of a circumstance, and we go back to doing what we were doing so really Saul at this time had really didn't have any kind of um what's the word I'm looking for there there was no there was no positive reinforcement if you will for him not to receive his sight and then go ahead and attack Ananias okay there was no reason why he wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't do that he could have if he wanted to and many times as Christians when we receive our quote-unquote sight after becoming blind, many times we go back to doing what we were doing because our mindset is, oh, great, I'm done with this problem. It's behind me. Nothing to worry about. I'm going to go back doing what I'm doing, which leads me to the next thing that you can do to lose to lose your will, to lose your will, to, to, to be able to gain God's will. And that's figure out how to eliminate complacency. OK. And what complacency is, is just simply standing back and just being satisfied with your current relationship, your current situation, your current relationship with God, whatever it is that's going on in your life. You're just completely satisfied with I'm going to be right here. I'm going to maintain status quo. I'm not going to try any hard. I'm not going to push myself or anything like that. I go to church once a week. That's it. I read my Bible once a week. I pray whenever I remember to. And that's it. Okay. But this whole life is about building a deeper and deeper and deeper relationship with God. So you have to be able to say, you know what? I'm not satisfied with my relationship with God, because as long as I'm here on this earth, I will never get to fully, fully know who he is because I won't get that until I get to heaven. So while I'm here, I'm going to do everything I can to get that deep relationship with God the same way you commit to a relationship when you're married. Your conversation when you're married, if you've been married for any amount of time, is not is, is not it does not stop at oh, what's your favorite color. That's back in elementary school, right? That's a little kid talk. Oh, what's your favorite color? Oh, okay. And then say, yeah, okay. And you just kind of just stand there, you know, you do one of those things. But to get a deeper relationship with your spouse, you talk about more and more and more deeper conversations. You talk about your hopes. You talk about dreams. You talk about any fears that you might have. You talk about the things that you like, you dislike. You talk about politics. You talk about religion. You talk about all of these things so that you can understand who that person is that you're married to. Well, we have to say, take that same approach with God. And if we really want God's will to happen in our life, we can't be satisfied with just where we are. We have to want more because he wants to give us more. The last thing that you can do, and this is a big one because I see this a lot and we're all guilty of it, is you also have to make sure that 
you're abiding by the laws of the land unless unless they contradict the word of God, unless they contradict the word of God, because the Bible says abstain from the appearance of all evil. So if you're a Christian and you're choosing to ignore the laws of the land because they're not convenient to you or because you don't like them and they don't and they don't contradict the word of God. What kind of message are you putting out there about what it means to be a Christian? Why would somebody want to follow God if they look at you and say, oh, well, you're breaking the law. The other day I was over at Walmart and 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 pastor was talking about parking spaces a couple of weeks. so I'm not going to dwell on that. But that came back to my remembrance when I was over at Walmart and somebody literally almost backed their car into the side of my car, pulling up, backing out of a handicap spot without a handicap placard hanging from their window. And I thought to myself, I said, so you hit the side of my car. If he, if he would have hit the side of my car, you better believe that when the police showed up, one of the things I was going to mention to them is that he was parking in a handicap spot and he hit me on the way back. Why would he do that? OK, because the parking space is closer to the to the store. And most people will say, well, I'm only going to be a few minutes. I'm only going to be quick. I'm only going to be this parking in the fire lane over there. This particular Walmart, the same thing. People parking that fire lane. If you do that as a child of God, what kind of message are you sending to other Christians? And what kind of messages are you sending to those that aren't believers? So, again, how to lose one identify. In terms of in terms of your will, identify what that thing is that you have that you feel that is so terrifying about following God's will. Okay, I will make sure you're obeying the laws of the land. All right. And the next thing we're going to get into in terms of the 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 second thing that we need to learn to lose in in order to gain, and this is going to be a big one. And actually, these are all big ones. The second one is going to be finances. Turn to one Timothy chapter six. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Okay. So we've discussed how to lose our will to, to, the, to surrender to God's will. All right. And that's by identifying the thing that terrifies us about following God's will. Making sure that we're obeying man's law when it doesn't. Uh, contradict the word of God and eliminating complacency. Now we're going to look at how do we how do we lose in finances and why do we need to lose in finances? Okay. First Timothy chapter six. And let's start with. Let's go to uh, let's start with verse three. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine which accords uh, with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gains from such withdraw yourself. Now, godliness and contentment is, is great gain. So what this is saying here is that people will talk about what it means to do the right thing, but it's absent of what God defines as being godly. OK, and these people that are doing this, they're teaching a doctrine that is not aligned with the word of God, but it's aligned with self. And they're doing it out of pride. And what ends up happening is they, they then like to engage in conversations to have disputes back and forth because they feel that their doctrine is the right doctrine and it's not biblically based. 
And we see that in the world in the, in the world today. There's a lot of push for for churches to start getting involved in things um, um, that are counter to the word of God. And they're trying to put it under the guise of, well, God is love. Jesus is love. Jesus brought people to him. And what they don't realize is that, well, when Jesus was preaching the gospel, not everybody followed him. Not everybody was saying that, oh, those are some some great words that you're saying there. There was some division that was caused when Jesus came out and, and, and was talking because the things that he was bringing upset what everybody thought they knew about the meaning of life. So they miss all of that and they think that, well, if Jesus is love and, and if you Christians are talking about love and preaching love, then you wouldn't have so many people that are against you. There will be people that will be lining up at the doorsteps coming to your church. And that's not so because the word of God can sting. OK, it can sting when you're being when Holy Spirit is giving you that conviction. It can really it can really sting. So what this is saying here is don't get wrapped up in, in associating yourself with those kind of people. And the reason for that is because you don't want to subject your spirit to something that will allow the devil to crack that door and set, and get his foot in there. OK, someone had asked me the other day, you know, what do you feel about um, uh, just this week? Actually asked me, what do you feel about signing up for a particular type of training, knowing that it's not in line with the, with the word of God? And what I simply said to them was I said, use Holy Spirit revelation, because if Holy Spirit is really calling you to do that, then you need to go and do it and make sure, you know, Holy Spirit's voice from your own voice, because those two will sound exactly the same. OK, you might be saying and justifying, oh, I can go to this because I know the word of God. It's not a problem. It's no big deal. I know what's truth and what's not. And Holy Spirit could be saying to you, don't you dare go there, because if you go there, you're going to subject to your spirit to something that I don't want to subject to. OK, so you want to be real, real, real careful how you're engaging in conversations with people like these um, and being in situations where your spirit can be tainted. Verse seven here, for we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out on the line, all of verse seven, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Underline all the verses nine and ten there. OK. Verse 10, I want to focus on a little bit there because that's a scripture that so many people misread. Right? And I see some head nods. So, you know, you know where I'm going with this. So many people will say money is the root of all evil. That's not the case. It's the love of money. That's the root of all kinds of evil. There is nothing wrong with being a Christian and being saved and wanting to have um, a, a good sized bank account or have a nice car or have a nice house. There is nothing wrong with those kind of things. But if that love of that and that desire and that lusting for that keeps you away from the word of God, that's when it talks about that people get pulled into all sorts of destruction and perdition. OK, being deceitful. Um, you see it a lot. I won't say there's certain areas within within um, and I won't get into too much about uh, strong men over over geographical areas. But there are certain areas within this nation where you can see that there is a spirit of greed that's operating over that entire state and over that city where everybody in there is all about how much money I can get. Who's got the biggest house? How many houses do you have? How many cars do you have? And they accumulate all of this stuff. And mind you, they don't even use it. 
I remember watching something on TV and they were doing this tour of this beautiful apartment um, in downtown Manhattan. If you're not familiar with downtown Manhattan, it's pretty uh, it's pretty expensive to live there. But they got some really nice living places over there. And this apartment literally was twenty five million dollars built for a prince in another country who never stepped foot in it. Never stepped foot in that, that mansion at all. And it makes me think, why would you have a mansion? Why would you have that house and you don't even use it for what purposes? And, it, and the real estate agent was talking about how how much work it went to to actually construct this thing because he had his hand in almost every part of the construction. All of that just not to use it. OK, so you talk about a waste. Twenty five million dollar apartment not even being used. So if you're focused on getting that kind of money and having a big bank account and all of these things that the world will say, oh, yes, you are wealthy and you're using that as, as your measure of success. It's going to lead to all sorts of sorts, sorts of evil. Evil doesn't necessarily mean that you're going out and doing committing um, um, actively committing something, something evil. It doesn't mean that, you know, well, I've, I love money so much that I'm going to go rob this convenience store or I'm going to go snatch this person's purse because I know they leave it at their desk at work uh, unattended. And I know what's in there. That doesn't necessarily mean that. But what it could mean is how do you treat others when it comes down to finances? OK. Are you given to charities, you know, and, and use some Holy Spirit wisdom, obviously, with that and make sure that it's a charity that's on the up and up? Are you giving of your tithe? OK, what does the Bible talk about? What does God say? Talk about tithes. OK, giving your tithe, because if you don't, you're robbing me. All right. So what are you doing with your tithe? Are you act, or are you actually even tithing? Are you willing to give to the give to the needy? If you're out and about shopping and you start to get those stomach pangs and you're hungry and everything like that and you can't wait, wait till you get home to eat, you should go out and you spend money on food. You buy something to feed yourself. So you might be losing some money out of your bank account. But what you're gaining is that sustenance that your body needs to have strength. When I was in college, um, I had a class, a sociology class, where the class was to spend a week at a local elementary school as an assistant teacher. And one of the things that went through my mind as I would pull up to the school is I was just and I'm a people watcher and I'm just kind of watching the kids coming in. It was a shame to see. And this was in December. OK, this was in December. So it was cold to see the parents get out of the cars, coat zipped up, hat, scarf, gloves. And a little child is wearing a, a T-shirt and pants. And I look at that and I say, why would you do that to your child? Why would you not buy them the clothes that they need? Why would you not make sure that they have what they need so that they don't end up being they don't become sick or that they're not getting made fun of in school? Because we know how school is. Right. Whoever has the latest and greatest things. And they're usually the popular ones. And I'm not saying that you go out and you, and you do that. But you have to make sure that their needs are met. And it would just boggle my mind as I look at that. And I just think to myself, you have the money to give things for your children. Why don't you do it? Or if I'm talking to people and I've heard this over the years many times from so many people about, oh, my gosh, I didn't buy that because that was so expensive. That was so expensive for my kid, this and that. And I'm thinking to myself, did you think that you were going to have children and that your bills weren't going to increase? Did you not think that you weren't good? Your food bill wasn't going to be higher. Your electric bill wasn't going to be higher. Your utility bills weren't going to be higher. You're going to have to buy this. But you're here talking about how you don't want to buy them new clothes and you walk, let them walk out the house like they were just rolling around in dirt because you don't want to spend the money on it. But look at your outfit. You got the latest boots that just came out by some 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 fancy designer that were probably about three or four hundred dollars or something to that effect. But you're not willing to spend money on your kids. That love of the money. OK, that love of money can can lead to all sorts of evil because you'd rather spend the money on yourself instead of spending it on others when needed.
You're not willing to give it to God, even though he commanded that you give him 10 percent. OK, that's how the love of money can lead to root all sorts of uh, root. The root of the love of money can be can lead to the root of all sorts of evil. So how can I learn to lose in my finances so that I can gain 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 favor in God's eyes? Well, the first thing is to put your faith in God and remember that he's Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is the God who provides. So if you know that he's going to provide for you and you know what scripture says about how the birds don't toil, they don't worry about where they're going to get their food and where they're going to live. And yet still God provides for them. He cares much more about us than he does them. So why would you think that he's not going to provide for you if he's going to provide for the lonely birds out in the field? Put your faith in him and remember that he's Jehovah Jireh and he's the God who provides. Set financial goals. Okay. Now, I'm not talking financial goals and I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I turn 40. I'm talking financial goals around giving. Okay. Take a look at how much did I give to God over the last year? Okay. Just about any church that's out there. I don't know of any church that doesn't that doesn't do this during holiday time. They collect up a special offering to be able to give to those that are needy. Set a goal to be able to give more than you did last year. Okay. Because by setting that goal, what you're saying to God is, Lord, I know exactly who you are and I know you own the cattle of a thousand hills. So I'm going to give more to you and give more to those in need because I know, number one, they will be blessed by it. And then number two, you will also bless me. Okay. And like I said, anytime you buy something for yourself, especially if it's something that you know you're going to enjoy, you're losing money, but you're gaining some satisfaction out of it. Keep that in your mind is that someone else's blessing should be a positive thing even if that means that you have to go through a negative circumstance, which then goes back to those questions I said earlier. What part of the report or the situation do you focus on? The positive outcome or the negative circumstance? The last area we're going to cover here as, as we start to wind down is the area that we need to learn to lose in, and that's sleep. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to go all the way to, let's see. Let's actually start in verse 32. I'm sure some of you are probably thinking, like, what do you mean we need to lose and sleep? Are you kidding me? There's not enough hours out of the day. I don't get enough sleep as it is. But we're going to talk about that. Mark 1, verse 32. I'm going to wait for everyone to get there. Mark 1, verse 32. At evening when the sun had set, they brought, him all, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed, them. he healed many who were sick and various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35. Now in the morning, underline morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary, pl pl uh, solitary place, and there he prayed. So underline that, and there he prayed. Now if you notice something in verses 32 to 34, Jesus didn't have an easy day. He didn't have an easy evening. He spent that entire evening healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching. And then what happened the very next day? He got up long before the morning to actually go and pray. 
How many of us are willing to get up early in the morning to actually pray? How many of us are willing to get up early in the morning and actually read our Bibles, even though we may have had a long night the night before or a long day the day before? Turn in your Bibles also to Psalm 88. Psalm 88, verse 13. Psalm 88, verse 13. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and underline this, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Okay? There are many scriptures in the Bible that talk about seeking God early in the morning. Psalm 119, 147 is one of them. Psalm 130, verse 6 is also another one. There is something about seeking God out in the morning that he wants to he's trying to stress to us. Okay, Jesus, many times, many times you read the gospel, you see many times where it say he got up in the morning to go and pray. He went somewhere else to go and pray. So how many of us, when we get that calling in the morning, are willing to actually set set aside some time and say, you know what? Normally I get up and the first thing I do is I might read a newspaper, maybe turn on the news, see what's happening out there. How many of us are willing to say, you know what, instead of doing that, I'm going to go sit down, I'm going to grab my Bible, I'm going to listen to what God has to say to me. In the business world, managers, CEOs, executives, they understand the importance of having a good morning and how a morning is going to set the rest of your day. There are many leaders out there in the world that recognize the first thing in the morning that I do as I go out and I'll do either some meditation or I'll do some yoga or some exercise, I do some this. I don't attend to the affairs of the day first thing in the morning because I need to make sure that I am grounded for what I'm going to be facing. That's in the world. OK, you know, Pastor and I were talking about this morning um, 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 how there are a lot of people that first thing in the morning, they want that cup of coffee and they say, oh, don't, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. You know, and I know in the workplace there I can watch certain people over the course of between 8 a.m. and 10, 10 a.m. They go through this whole transformation where it was kind of dragging in, looking like they just got out of bed. So all of a sudden they're perky and they're ready to take on anything, you know. Um, and so it's something about that morning that God is saying, you need to seek me in the morning. Now, why would he do that? Because he knows exactly what's coming your way that day. So if you don't seek him in the morning, how are you going to get your priorities and your battle orders for the day? Okay. A lot of times people in, in the workplace anyway, they'll say, and I've heard this many times, oh, I ask them, how's your day going so far? How's your morning? I don't know. I haven't checked my email yet. I'm like, oh, okay. So you're going to wait and see what's in that email before you decide that you have a good morning. Okay. If you say so, well, I'll say good morning to them. Oh, what's so good about this morning? Well, you're awake, right? Oh, I guess so. You know, and it's like, well, if you got up and you sought God in the morning, one of the first things you can easily do is say to God is, Lord, thank you for waking me up today. Because there are so many people that didn't wake up this morning. I had a football coach that used to tell us, you think you have it bad sometimes? Why don't you try driving by a graveyard and look at all those people that lost their lives and left loved ones behind and then see if you actually have it that bad. So losing in the morning means let's set us let's set let's set aside some time. To seek God out so that we can get our priorities for the day. Okay. How do we do that? Well, it's simple. Prioritize. Schedule it. Look at what you can do differently in the morning and replace that with, with, with seeking God, with talking to God. Okay. 
How many times have you actually woken up in the middle of the night, not in a cold sweat, not with your heart racing, not stressed out, but just kind of a peaceful eye opener and say, oh, I'm awake and I don't have to get up yet. How many of us actually lay there and try to go back to sleep instead of actually getting up? So when you get that feeling, try actually grabbing your Bible, go to the living room, the bathroom, the garage, wherever it is that you can get some quiet time. Take your Bible and a notepad and seek God's face and see what he has to tell you for the day. Okay. Jesus did it on many on on many occasions because he wanted to get direction from God, because even though he was the son of God, he still sought out the Holy Spirit because he knew that while he's the son of God, he is on this earth and he is bound to be tempted by the things of this world. He was going to be exposed to the things that we get exposed to as human beings. So he did not want to start his day or step foot and try to say that I'm going to do God's work without actually stepping back and saying, all right, Lord, what would you like me to do today? Okay, so let's let's adopt that same exact exact mentality. Let's spend our mornings waking up and talking to God and spending some time listening. It's hard sometimes to listen at nighttime to God, because and I've certainly been there. I'm sure we all have where you start saying your prayers at nighttime. You know, you could be doing whatever, praying, go lay down, you're praying. Next thing you know, you wake up, it's in the middle of the night and you didn't finish praying. <laughs> you know, you start falling asleep when you're praying because you get tired. It happens to everybody. Right. So you think about is if, if you're that tired at the end of the day and you can't do that at, the, at nighttime and be able to hear from them, why not do it in the morning when you've already had a nice rest? OK, prioritize it. I remember I used to stay up all hours of the night in college playing video games, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, go to class at eight o'clock with no problem. and can actually somehow make it through class for that day. But as I got older, I just said, yeah, that's not something that I can do anymore. I, I can't do that. So what I did was I shifted my priorities that evening and I just said, instead of staying up playing games this evening, I'm actually go to sleep a little bit earlier. And when I got when I went to sleep early, I woke up, was able to go get a nice workout in. My mind was fresh. I was able to sit there and hear what they actually and actually hear what the teacher was saying. Not that humming in my ears because I wasn't really awake with my eyes open or anything like that. I was able to actually hear those things. So if you think if you, so, if you're one of those people that feels like I can't get up that earlier. Look at what you're doing in the evening and see if there's something you can carve out so you can get to bed earlier. Also, understand that if God is going to wake you up early in the morning, he will give you the strength you need to sustain you throughout the day. The same way that he gave five foot three David the strength to take Goliath's sword and cut his own head off after hitting them with that stone and knocking them and killing him. The same way God gave him that strength to finish the job, he'll give you the strength to actually finish your day. And the last thing I want to say, and you don't have to go here now, but if you want these things to happen in your life, if you really, really, really want to lose the game, okay, it's relatively simple. And it's understanding what what Matthew 6, verse 33 says, and that's seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if you're really, really seeking God and you're putting God first and you're wholeheartedly striving to get a deeper relationship with him, all these other things, he'll give you a plan of attack on how to deal with it. Amen. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. And now let's begin to let's prepare to honor God by collecting our tithes and offerings.